Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Lauren Wong. She's the CEO and founder of The Flex Company. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, me as well. You're, I'm really selfishly fascinated to learn more about your journey and what you are building at Flex because I'm curious. I probably pretty, I don't really understand, like I understand the space, but I, you know, it's kind of outside of my comfort zone. So I'm excited to have you, you know, teach me and the listener some stuff today. But before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in Sugar Hill, Georgia. It's about an hour outside of Atlanta. Very cool. Okay. So walk us through, you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, I ended up getting my GED, which is another story altogether. I was, okay. an AP, I was an AP student. I got my GED. I went to community college for a couple of years. And at the same time, I got a full-time job at IBM when I was 19. So oh, wow. I was working full-time at IBM and going to community college at night. Okay. Um, and then after a couple of years, uh, I transferred to Georgia State University um, in marketing, I decided to do because that's what I was doing at work, ironically. And okay. when I moved to Georgia State University, I also got a job at Coca-Cola. So I was working in marketing at Coca-Cola and going to school at night. Um, but for me, it was work was, you know, to pay my bills. I thought I was going to be a lawyer after school, but it turned out that marketing paid pretty well and I was really good at it. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through your career, maybe some highlights along the way, because you've worked at some well-known companies, obviously IBM and Coca-Cola are in that category, but you've worked at some other big ones too. Yeah. Um, you know, I moved to San Francisco after I graduated college. Um, I was a little bit you know, excited to go into tech and I got this job at Autodesk um, doing marketing for their manufacturing software products. I learned all about how products are made, which I thought was really cool coming from a CPG company to kind of get a behind the scenes look on actually like what manufacturing's like. Um, from there, I worked at a nonprofit for a little bit and then I went to a for-profit um, in tech that was similar to the nonprofit. Um, it's called Upwork. And their mission is to um, really democratize work by allowing people to work anywhere, which nowadays people working remotely and gig work and contract work is pretty common. But, um, you know, we have to remember that over the last 10 years, there's really been a rise in that type of thinking. And Upwork was at the forefront, very advanced in how they thought about um, connecting the world through work. No, totally. Very cool. So... I want to spend majority of the time on 
the Flex Company and what you're doing there. So how did you come up with the idea and what exactly is Flex? I mean, I, if you can talk about a hard left turn in terms of my career, you couldn't take a harder left turn than to get into um, A, being a startup founder and B, having my startup be focused on menstruation. Sure, sure. <laughs> and creating um, totally new innovative products um, to solve people's major period problems. And I, I say truthfully that I really had no desire of becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I was getting yeast infections for 15 years of my life following every period. Yeah. And if you talk about entrepreneurs, you know, starting companies because they had saw a problem or had a problem, this is a very real problem. <laughs> There's not a more real personal um, and at the time for me, very embarrassing problem than having an infection every month. Um, and, sure, I can imagine. Yeah. And, and kind of feeling like I didn't have any options outside of pads and tampons. So the the marketer in me um, would just, I would spend every weekend studying the space, trying to understand like, well, how, when did we start using tampons? And when did we, you know, pads come with that adhesive instead of those belts, belt things that I think our moms used to use and our grandmas used to use. Um, and, and I just had a never ending list of questions and a lot of curiosity about the space, but still no intention for really starting a business. And through, and, you know, I was working my full-time job, like I said, on the weekends doing this research, started having groups of women over to talk about their periods and talk about their period problems and kind of unbeknownst to me, like built this community of people that we now call today the uterati, kind of like Illuminati, the uterati. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and these people were so thirsty to talk about their periods. Like these are women in tech for the most part, you know, women living in San Francisco, working in San Francisco um, in, you know, 2014, 2015. I, they started asking me to make a product for them. And after working on this, it's kind of a side hustle for, a couple of years decided to go after it um, mainly to help other people that were like me that had a lot of period problems. Okay. No, that makes sense. But how did you decide and what was the deciding factor for you to say like, you know what, we keep talking about this. I need to be the one to actually solve this problem. There were a lot of little signs that happened along the way that kind of added up. Um, if you've, have you ever read the alchemist? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. So there's this fiction book called the alchemist and it, it's almost like a parable, but this young guy is getting signs all along the way who are kind of messengers okay. that show him what path that he should be on in his life. And I read this book around that time ah. and I think it opened up my eyes to all these different messengers that were in my life. One, for example, um, was this guy who asked me to be the CEO of his company that he was starting. He didn't oh, want to be the CEO of it. And, you know, I thought like, I, I'm, I, like, I've never been a CEO before. I don't understand like how this person could ask me, but he really believed in me and really wanted it. And that gave me the confidence to, to do it for myself. I felt that the time in the market was also right um, by just, how, like I said, thirsty people were to talk about menstruation and talk about periods and talk about their period problems. 
I knew that there'd been no innovation in the space for over a hundred years. Wow. And the FDA, that long? Wow. Wild. Yeah. Wild that we're still using the same period products that our grandmothers use. And the FDA, um, changed their regulations to say that they wanted to see more innovation in period care products. And so they loosened up. Um, I mean, I say loosen, but <laughs> there's still a very sure, high imagine. bar for making medical devices that are FDA regulated. However, uh, they did somewhat loosen their, um, their requirements. And so it was kind of a culmination of a lot of those things that gave me the confidence that a, the time was right. And B that I was the correct person to do this. Okay. So obviously not having a background in, you know, making physical products, how did you start with the first kind of versions of the, of these, uh, products and, and what exactly was the kind of prototyping and journey like at the beginning? It's, uh, you know, going back, it's probably, uh, a comedy of errors, just like a lot of failing and failing, okay, sure. failing hard and failing quickly. Um, the tricky thing about making a physical product, if it's never been made before is, um, well, for a medical device, for example, you can't 3d print something and ask somebody to put it in their body. Right? Yeah. Safe. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. And like, yeah, like you, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I was kind of like a person that was blind, like blindly feeling around in the dark. Um, and anything that I could feel I'd grab onto. And I made a list of the things that I didn't know how to do. So I didn't know anything about the FDA. So I spent a really long time studying that and talking to other people that had made other types of medical devices that had nothing to do with period. So that was one. I talked to other people that made lots of physical products um, again, not products that go inside of the body, but then the closest I got to was, um, someone that was designing sex toys. I'm like, okay, great. You've like, I found someone that makes something that actually right. goes inside of <laughs> a menstruator's body. Perfect. You understand anatomy. Like, let's have a conversation. How much space do you have in there? Like, what's the variability between different people? Like, you know, help point me in the right direction. I would actually cold call manufacturers um, to try to get a better understanding of what manufacturing process, like a, what manufacturers were in the, uh, in North America, because I felt very strongly, I wanted to make the product in either the United States or Canada, but B, which one of those were FDA, um, registered. And, and so that I would know that they would be safe and could make medical devices, but C actually have the manufacturing processes or capabilities to be able to build custom tooling and not just do something off the shelf. Like I wasn't going to go and buy a tampon and put my name on it, white label it and call it a flex tampon. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I was trying to do. I was trying to come up with a totally different form factor. So um, it was a combination of those different things, combination of looking at old innovation that people had tried launching and failed and looking at what actually was out there in markets all over the U S um, so just it was a messy, hairy, inelegant process is what I would tell you. Okay. But you figured it out. You eventually got there. But how did you decide and what products do you produce today? Because eventually you had to obviously try try these out, right? And there's got to be a bunch of failures along the way. 
and like hopefully you didn't have to go to the hospital to get it removed or something right because that part of the challenge yeah. with all this stuff is that fair to say right. no that's fair to say no we we still to this day have had no reported instances of tss the product has never been linked to tss it's not linked to infections um part of that is there are very well-known medical grade materials that are used in all different types of hospital environments and medical devices that are approved for use inside of the body. And so that was one of the main choices that I made in the beginning was whatever we make needs to be an inert material that doesn't promote the growth of bacteria, harmful bacteria, um, or yeast or disrupt the pH of the vagina. Um, and we make two, we make a number of different products. Like the two products that we're best known for are the menstrual disc. Um, and I coined that term in 2016. And then okay. the menstrual cup, which we were not the first people to create the menstrual cup. I think the best known brand in um, the US and Canada is Diva Cup. Although now, um, as of two years ago, we saw more product than Diva Cup, which I'm very proud of because they're, awesome. like, they're kind of like the Kleenex of. Sure. Sure, sure. No, totally. Yeah. Very cool. Well, congrats on that. That's awesome. So do you maybe want to cover quickly for people that don't know probably what the disc is and maybe what the cup is just so people have some reference and how, how is that, how are those similar and different to like a tampon, I guess is probably the best comparison or, or like, yeah, yeah, whatever you think. Yeah, that's a good tamp. That's a good analogy. So tampons are worn inside of the body. Pads or period underwear are worn outside of the body. So menstrual discs and cups are worn inside of the body. Um, they are shaped differently. The disc is shaped like a disc. <laughs> it's flat. It's circular. The cup is shaped like a bell. Okay. Um, and our cup um, has a unique design. It has a very soft stem that um, adjusts in length so it fits a, a more variety of different body types than um, any other cup brand because that's just power cup was designed and it's patented um, and anyway both products the cup and the disc can be worn inside of the body for up to 12 hours and so with the disc um, you can empty it during the day just by going to the bathroom. So if you okay. go to the bathroom to urinate, for example, the disc will self-empty over the toilet um, while you're bearing down. It will not empty during the day when you're like running around or if you're like me and you go to the gym and you do squats, it's not gonna empty <laughs> when you're, oh, when you're not ready for it to empty, yeah. which is important to know. Otherwise we would have no customers, um, but you wear it for 12 hours. You can't feel it. Um, it people say that it strongly reduces cramps because of where it sits inside of your body and it just collects blood for up to 12 hours. And at the end of the day, you have a disposable version, you throw it away and you put in a clean one. I do it in the shower. For the reusable version, you take it out, you rinse it. Again, you can do that in the shower if you want when you're at home um, and then you put it back in. So that's the disc and the thing that the disc probably went viral for in the first place is that um, you can have oral or penetrative intercourse while you're wearing it on your period. So it blocks odor, you can't feel it because it sits around your cervix. The cup, on the other hand, um, they're only it only comes in a reusable kind. Okay. Um, and then basically like our design is such that the pull tab on it, that adjustable stem that I talked about, yep. 
it breaks the seal for you. So people are often worried that their menstrual cup is going to get stuck. And this uh -huh. is designed to overcome that challenge. Okay, interesting. No, that's, that's fascinating. Okay, so I'm curious, then, how did you come up with the idea of the disc? Because it, like, it, nobody else did it before you, correct? No, there was a disc created in the 1990s. Oh, okay. Um, that had, I think they were really too early to market. Okay. And it required, they didn't call it a disc. They call it something totally different. Um, and before I started the company, actually, when I was in that R&D process, I came across um, their product design. I didn't even see their actual product. I saw an old patent that they had okay. and realized that the product was like still in the market. I contacted them and asked to work for them. Oh, wow. And I, they said no. <laughs> okay. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go make my own version of this with newer materials. And they were kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, okay, random person with a Gmail account. <laughs> like, <laughs> looks okay. like your background is in tech. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I ended up buying that company um, a couple years later. So I Amazing. Still sell, yeah, I still sell their product and I sell our product. The benefit was I got access to the 20 years of R&D that they put into their disc. Um, so essentially fast forwarded our R&D process um, pretty significantly by being able to improve upon materials. Interesting. No, I, to be honest, I think that's actually really good advice for people like that are similar to you where they, they obviously don't, don't come from a medical background and are looking to get into this space, right? Totally. I'd say that for any product. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. Any, yeah, you can always learn. I mean, unless it's tech and you're, you know, building some new kind of machine learning algorithm and that definitely needs to be your own. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Unless it's open source, I guess. But yeah, it, any way that you can kind of work backwards from things that have already been out there. A product designer from Apple was the one that um, taught me that because that messy, feeling around in the dark process that I was telling you about yeah. wasn't getting me anywhere. It was literally getting me nowhere. And I decided not to do the, I was like, well, I'm not cut out for this. Like I, I'm a marketer. I'm just going to shelve the idea. And I met this product designer from Apple and my girlfriend was with me and she begged me to tell him about my idea. And he said, you know, maybe just go and look at other things that have already been manufactured. I'm like, I have, I've told you looked at dildos, I looked at diaphragms, I looked at everything. There's nothing, there's nothing, 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 nothing out there. But I, I, something in his conviction, you know, gave me one more, one more weekend to go and look and see if I had missed anything. And that's when I came across that old patent, um, wow. and contacted the company. And that changed everything. That's, that's awesome. That's fascinating. Yeah. No, and really good advice. Okay. So I think, I, I think you covered, okay, so you, you get these products and, and created, but at what point are you like, I really need to make this a business and do this thing full time? Like, how did you make that switch? Or when did you make that switch? Well, I made, I made this switch after we had made a prototype because 
you know, building a physical product is a little bit of a chicken or an egg problem because right. you need, you know, manufacturing tooling, unless I'm, I'm going and like, again, let's just say buying tampons. Let's say I want to make an organic tampon. There's like, let's say three to five manufacturers in the world that make them. There's three that are willing to do business with a small person like me at the time. I go in, um, I, I, I say, okay, I want this tampon. I'm going to put it in my box and you get this, like, this is what I'm going to pay you for that. And then I turn around and I mark it up and I sell it online to consumers. And I say, you know, here's my organic tampon. That That's how like a lot of consumer products work. Um, and, you, you know, you, you can buy, I think, most most brands have a store brand of something, right? That's like the manufacturer's brand. Right. There's no marketing behind it, and they're they're competing on price. Um, for if you're making something totally new for the first time, I needed manufacturing equipment to the tune of one million plus dollars for our first manufacturing line, and it was all custom. So I had to go to investors and say, "Hey, uh, I want to make this new thing," and they said, uh, "How do I know anyone's going to want to use this?" you crazy person with a Gmail account, (laughs) 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 go prove to me that people are actually going to like use this thing that you're inventing out of your brain. And Oh, by the way, I told them that there was another company I tried doing this before and they had failed. And like, why should, why should you Lauren Wong be any different? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So yeah, I had to, I had to kind of like figure out a way to um, sell pre-orders and to demonstrate that this is something that people are really going to want. And at the same time, I had to figure out from a manufacturer how much it was actually going to cost so that I could build a financial model to show to investors to say, here's how I'm going to make money. And here's how I'm going to return your, your investment to you many, many times over. Um, so it was a little bit of a necessity. I think I, I had bootstrapped the company as long as I could until I almost bankrupted myself. Wow. But I, I would say like take on capital when you actually absolutely have to take it on. And in the life of the company, I've raised very little capital because I've tried to be like self-sustainable, you know, <laughs> not having to rely on that next, that next dollar to come in the business. No, I actually think that's really good advice in itself. But from what I remember is you had a crazy challenge actually raising money for this. And let's be brutally honest here. Most investors are usually male. It it seems like we're getting more female VCs, but the ratio is still mostly males. And obviously pitching female products to males, as you'd probably tell me, and I would probably guess is extremely difficult. Uh, so, but you did it kind of a different way. Do you want to talk about how you kind of overcame that? Because I think that's really good advice for people. For sure. I mean, the landscape has changed a lot since 2015 when I was out right. there fundraising for the very first time, thankfully, um, not just in terms of the ratio of male to female investors, but just there's more CPG investors generally there are other period companies that have come after us. And then there's like supplement companies and menopause companies and all different types of things focused on women's health. So there actually are quite a few investors out there nowadays that you could go and talk to. At the time I was talking to people that were like, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we've literally never invested in anything like this. So it took thousands of no's, honestly, like it was so brutal. 
Um, but, you know, I know this one um, insight from working in marketing and working in B2B marketing, B2B sales for so long, like you, in a sales situation, you got to get the other person nodding their head in the very beginning. If you walk in and you start talking about something uncomfortable, like periods that the other person can never relate to, they're going to naturally be resistant to hearing whatever else it is that you have to say. You, so you have to find a way to kind of emotionally meet them. So, you know, certainly you can start with something like, wow, it's a beautiful day outside. Nod. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, your office is very cold. Like, you don't want to talk about stuff like that. So, like, okay, what is the emotional thread that I can pull if I'm talking to a person that's never menstruated before? And I would try kind of the angle of, oh, do you have a person in your life? If you're, you know, are you married to a woman? Yes. Or do you have a daughter? Maybe that still wasn't personal enough or close enough for them because then I was opening the door to them saying, well, my wife doesn't want to try your product. <laughs> and I would say, well, your wife isn't really in my demographic, right? Like she's, so that didn't work either. So I found a new tech where I realized that one of the main benefits of our first product, the disposable menstrual disc, was that you could have sex on your period with no mess. And so I would ask these guys, you know, do you enjoy having sex with women? Nod. Yes. Uh-huh. Great. Um, have you ever been rejected because your partner was on their period? I get another nod. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. go yeah. into the kill. Yeah. This is a product for that solves that problem. And then they're leaning it. Tell me more. <laughs> like, <laughs> great. Now I have my foot in the door and then I can talk about, oh, by the way, there's been a lack of innovation for over a hundred years. Oh, by the way, um, no one has done any innovation, innovation in this, in this space at all. Our, you know, design is covered, um, by intellectual property. Here's my go to market. It's a multi-billion dollar opportunity. Then you have them nodding all the way to the check. Smart. Interesting. That's no, that makes, makes a lot of sense. And. And no, I think that's actually really good advice, right? Is you have to come at sometimes pitching your company from a different angle than just kind of straight at the point. Like you can get to that eventually, but you need to come at it kind of from a different angle, which is, I think, really good advice. Yeah, it's just about finding commonality and having empathy for the person on the other side of the table, whether like they end up writing you a check or not. Just I think meeting people where they're at is really important. On the flip side, though, you know, there was a pitch that I was in, um, it was like a big demo day pitch and there's a reporter from TechCrunch in the audience, which I did not know. Okay. He was the lead editor at the time. He wrote a feature article on the homepage of TechCrunch that was live for 48 hours in the main slot that was like, there's this new product for mess-free period sex. And we went viral all over the world. TechCrunch said that That's we amazing. broke the internet. That's amazing. <laughs> Because TechCrunch had never written about periods before either. Sure. Cosmo at the time had an editorial rule that they weren't allowed to write about periods. So it was um, it was like a really historic moment. But I ended up catching a lot of heat from feminists. Because really? people, yeah, because people were like, how could you shame women for their periods? And I'm like, that, that is the opposite of who I am or what my message is. Like, I don't want to shame anyone for their period, nor do I want to say that 
period, there's anything wrong with period sex. You just need to understand like the context where my <laughs> words are taken out of, out of a pitch <laughs> to people that needed to, I needed a way in. But my big takeaway is like, it's just, it's like testing a landing page. You just got to keep testing different layouts and different messaging and positioning until you find the thing that's actually converting for you. And it's, it's the same thing for pitching your company. You just got to take the nose and really learn from them. No, that, that's actually really good advice. And I agree with you. I, okay. But why is it so uncomfortable? Because like your, your feminist comment a second ago is you got attacked for something, but you got attacked for something that you weren't doing at all. Like if anything, you were trying to do the exact opposite. They were like, so how does, why is it so uncomfortable and why is it so kind of misrepresented or, or like, why don't we talk about the realities of some of these things that we deal with in life? And, and maybe this is a good reference and it, it's one thing, and you can tell me if it's stupid or not, but it's like, I remember when my wife was like first trying to like breastfeeding, it's either seems to be like the easiest thing in the world or the most like complicated hard thing in the world and nobody ever talked about it until you actually have a kid and a baby and you're like trying it and but if people knew that it was complicated going in i think people would be a lot less stressed out about just doing that if that's the route they choose to go like is that a fair comparison that we just like don't seem to talk about these things that majority of people will go through whether it's them or with somebody that they end up with. Is that fair to say, or do you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah, I, I can understand what you're getting at. I do think that that's a very interesting analogy that I hadn't heard of before. And I'm a mom and I'm actually almost seven months pregnant right now again. Congrats. So <laughs> you're talking about breastfeeding and my brain is starting to wonder. Um, yeah, it's a fair comparison. I think that part of why it's so uncomfortable for people in the US in particular is because people aren't learning about their body parts. And I mean, you know, more than 50% of the US um, public school system does not um, have any type of sexual reproductive health education. And I'm just talking about like bare bones, here are the body parts, here's how they work. I'm not talking about gender or sexuality or anything else like that, that, you know, I'm not talking about safe sex. I'm strictly talking about just the anatomy and how it all works. Wow. That's wild to me. That makes absolutely no sense to me. But okay, yeah. it doesn't matter. We don't need to get political. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. Like there's nothing political about yeah, I guess. understanding what your body parts are, being able to name them, understanding how they work. Um, and sure. in my view, I don't I've never met anyone on any side of the spectrum that thinks that that's uh that's taboo, but in any case. So you have half the population that isn't learning about it at all at school and parents might assume that their kids are learning about it at school or they wow. may not have even learned about it at school themselves. So how are they supposed to be able to educate their kids about it? Right. So then kids are finding out about things on the internet. Who knows what they're hearing or reading or watching. Um, and then the other 50% of kids who are getting that education are being separated. Like boys and girls are put into different rooms. Um, the girls are told very clearly not to show their powder, their tampon, or to tell anyone what's going on. And they're kind of made to feel like embarrassed, right? Like it's like the secret thing. Uh, and then the you're taught to be embarrassed. Interesting. You're taught to be embarrassed. And 
you know, the boys, like what's more salacious for little boys and all the girls being in a room and not, not being able to know what they're talking about, you know, just kind of creates this like shroud of secrecy. I think about, you know, we, we catch spiders in my house and my daughter's almost two and my husband was gone the other day. There's this giant spider in her toy box. And I was like trying to get it out and I finally got it and I let it free She's like running after it outside. And I told my husband when he came home, I'm like, I caught this huge spider. And it's really interesting. She was not afraid of it. And he's like, well, of course not. Why would a two-year-old be afraid of a spider? And to me, it's like periods and menstruation are the same thing. Like we're taught to be afraid of it. We're taught to be ashamed of it. Yeah, that's that's too bad. So I, I guess, and I always kind of hate the like, I have a daughter. So like, you know, I care about this stuff, but I think in this case, it's super important and I'm pretty like open and my wife's pretty open about like any questions I've had in the past, like she'll answer and whatever. Right. But for people that don't have that, like, what do you tell kind of like the dads of the world or the males of the world that are actually genuinely just want to not come into this stuff clueless because I will have to deal with this directly or indirectly at some point in my future. And I don't want to just be like, uh, like just kind of lost, right? Like I would like to help out. And so it's not embarrassing for her, right? Because I'm not going to get embarrassed. I'm like 39, like whatever, right? But do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the fact that you care and I appreciate that you're thinking about it already. It's really important to know that girls are, um, hitting puberty and menstruating earlier and earlier and doctors so what age sorry sorry to cut you why. off because like my daughter's seven just for some context but what age roughly have you been hearing it depends on a lot of different factors okay okay <laughs> but sometimes some in some demographics as early as eight or nine. Oh wow okay not extremely common but it right. still happens but okay. every um year they're showing that the age is getting younger and younger and again scientists do not understand why there's lots of theories and the theories differ in different countries even um there was a theory that it was because in the u.s because of childhood obesity but researchers in denmark actually think it has something to do with um, the products and um, endocrine disruptors that are in different products that we use. So there's like lots of differing opinions and lots of controversy on this topic, but either way, people generally agree that it's getting younger and younger. So asking yourself the question when your children are, you know, five, six, seven, eight, it doesn't even, if they're older, it's not too late either. But I think right. if it's a boy or a girl, and especially a girl, if they're going to go through these things, um, you, you want to, be able to be a resource to, to ask them questions. I think one um, interesting tactic is you could learn things together. You can open up a conversation and have it be an invitation to, you know, go to the library and get some books and sit down and like read and, and learn about um, the process together so that it feels like a safe, comfortable environment. Right. Okay. So I guess. And is this like, or what, what should I learn as kind of like her dad that would help me maybe if she's uncomfortable, you know, when the time comes for her? Something I know a lot of parents do is they have 
a variety of different products that okay. are ready. Okay. Um, probably starting with externally worn products, probably not internally worn, although every child is different, but I say let the child lead as far as it comes to when it comes to what they're comfortable with and when they're comfortable with it. Um, so having a variety of different pads on hand, having some period underwear on hand, which is basically like underwear with extra lining um, that can be washed and reused. Um, having panty liners available, those types of things. And then having tampons, having a menstrual cup, having um, a menstrual disc there as a part of the educational toolkit. So you can talk about, you know, these being other options and probably not the option that they're going to start with, right. but just having them understand like what, you know, here's the process your body is going through every single, every month every 28 days whatever your cycle may be here's the different proper names of your anatomy here's when you know that something is going wrong like if something is like too painful or constantly painful then let's talk about that so we can go to the doctor and diagnose and something is wrong like you're not dying if you're bleeding you know but if you're bleeding too much that's something that you probably want to tell me or tell your mom you know so that we can Make sure that you're healthy and safe. Um, endometriosis, PCOS, conditions like that go vastly underdiagnosed or undiagnosed for years and can have long-term mental and physical health consequences, um, especially for Black women and Black girls. So it's important to just educate yourself on um, not only like the like sure products, <laughs> but the right. physical anatomy and what's in the realm of quote unquote normal and what um, types of things would um, cause some concerns. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. So, and, and maybe this is kind of a weird question, but what if, and this, like, I, like obviously with the divorce rate being so high and um, like, I'm lucky that I've, you know, been with my wife for over a decade now, but if, what if there wasn't a fee, a, female in my immediate kind of family and okay so I pick up some of these products but actually using some of these like is there good resources people could go to or, or use because obviously if when they're kind of in the teens I don't want to be like physically showing her what to do but is there advice or resources that I could like say here go read about I don't know like how to use one of the discs or how to use a, the cup or how like do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, any of the brands are going to have videos that okay. walk it through for anyone step by step. So we have a whole YouTube channel um, and everything is illustrated. Um, we use also like classic anatomically correct models that you can that are clear that you can see inside of the body to really understand okay. like where a cup or a disc sits. That's used by adults. Um, I think any of the tampon manufacturers or pad manufacturers have similar resources on their website. Again, when they're trying something for the very, very first time, pads are usually the way that people go or period underwear would be the way right. that people go. And you can always demonstrate that with not one of her pairs of underwear, but like buy a new pair of underwear that she doesn't have to use that you're not giving to her and <laughs> show sure. her, you know, um, this is how you, you know, take the pad out of the wrapper and put the pad on and this is the way that it faces and there's instructions that come in the box if you ever forget you know you can always look in there got you no i i think that's that's really good 
advice and it's cool that you guys uh, actually provide uh, some of that educational content as well. Um, so I'm curious, and, and I think your marketing commercials and, and are, are actually really, really well done. And I know obviously you come from a background, but I think the point I'm trying to get at here is you and the team have done a very good job at just not marketing these at just stereotypical kind of like male and female because a lot of people identify with with different genders these days and actually one of my cousins was born a female and has transitioned to a male and you know and i, I obviously i can't fully relate I, I think the closest thing is i've i've read about it um i'm you know the band against me their singer came out a number of years ago and read a book or wrote a book about um you know her struggles and i actually found it really fascinating but you and the team have done a really good job at kind of being gender neutral. Why do you think that's so important? I'm queer myself. Okay. And a lot of people in my community or friend group um, are. And when I first started the company and kind of wrote down our mission and my vision, I cared a lot about sparking conversations around okay. periods of menstruation because there's so much missing and i cared a lot about making products that solved real problems like not not just like putting something in a pretty box and making right. a cute commercial and so the sparking conversations through all the conversations i had with my community and network um really felt that packaging the names the name of the aisle feminine hygiene or <laughs> just like everything about it um was designed to kind of make not make the user of those products feel comfortable even if you identified as a woman you know or if yeah. you're a dad going to pick up the product for their daughter and you know it's in this butterfly packaging maybe that's okay for some 14 year olds and maybe it's not okay for others. Right. I personally never felt comfortable with it. Um, so we wanted to build the brand that would really spark conversations and not in a way that's like, okay, we want to be really progressive and woke, but in a way that's like, no, we just want to make a product that works really well that anyone is comfortable buying. Right. And Which makes sense. People, yeah. That people feel included and seen and, they can see a little bit of themselves in the product because for too long, you know, the products are just very pink and purple and girly. Right. No, I I think that's that makes a lot of sense. So sadly, we're coming to the end of the show, but how will we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Flex, and any other links you want to mention? You can find us on Instagram with at flex and you can find my personal Instagram linked in the bio. You can find us on Twitter at flex on Facebook at flex and on TikTok is our only unique handle, which is weird flex, but okay. Very cool. Well, Lauren, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show when I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. I had a blast. I really appreciate your questions and your daughter is 
very lucky to have you as a father. You sound very empathetic and caring. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.